Welcome to Rooster Radio, where we talk to interesting people doing amazing things. I'm Andrew Montesi with James Begley. We headed into Parliament House for the first time to interview the leader of the South Australian Liberal Party, Stephen Marshall. Most South Australians wouldn't know much about the leader of the opposition, and Stephen is a bit frustrated that his image is influenced by what he calls the curse of the opposition, the short daily news grabs that are often negative. During our interview, Stephen is in fact quite the opposite. He's relaxed, engaging and jovial. Maybe because the 2018 election draws closer, where he'll get another chance to break a 16-year run of Labor government. This was expected to happen in 2014, but Stephen admits that he and his party blew it. He talks about the aftermath, keeping the team together, learning from his mistakes and his personal evolution as a leader. Stephen still draws on his much-talked-about background in business, structuring goals and KPIs like most company directors. He is mentored by former Prime Minister John Howard and still takes a call from his dad every day, who remains a big influence on his life. We also talk about the challenge of articulating his vision, the personal toll of politics, and try to reveal just a little bit more of the real Stephen Marshall. Enjoy our chat. Leader of the Liberal Party, Stephen Marshall, welcome to Rooster Radio. Thank you very much. It's great to uh, be on your program. Now, I hear that you had an engagement down in your old stomping ground this morning yes. uh, back in Port Adelaide or Ethelton. Yeah. Um, what was life like growing up? What was, what, was, what was the dinner table ritual like in the Marshall household? Well, we had to sit at the table. There were five of us, so my parents and my three, well, they had three children, two sisters and myself, and we would sit at the table every night and mum, you know, cooked one of her four meals. And uh, <laughs> she was, what were those four meals? Uh, well, uh, you had the spaghetti bolognese, which was a, a favourite back, uh, you know, in that time. Uh, and then you had the tuna mornay, uh, which was another favourite. And of course, then the silver side. And then, of course, you had barbecues and then a, a roast lamb for special occasions. But that was basically it in our family. And we just cycled through that sort of series. But the, the issue was that every night we sat down at the table uh, for dinner, we had our seats. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd, somebody would set the table and somebody would clear the table and we'd do the dishes and it was a good time. Now kids are having, my kids have pickled octopus and olives and really? all sorts of dip. Yeah, I mean, the gourmet. You are an eastern suburbs boy. But anyway, so coming back to, I guess, the rituals, was, was, there, was there discussion? Was it an intellectual household? Do you remember, you know, talking about world things or was it about the, you know, the things that happened in your day? Well, mum and dad were just really engaged in the local community, so there was always something. But mostly dinner uh, conversation was about what we had done at school that day and what program we had for that for the rest of that week and that weekend. So every night we were, you know, down at the swimming pool or down at the surf life saving or down at the local Cubs or, you know, being a St John cadet or whatever. I mean, we were just literally, I think our parents decided that we sh- they should just sign up their children for every single plausible activity, and some of them were quite implausible, uh, that were, were going. And so we, we had a great uh, childhood. We grew up at Semaphore Park. I went to Ethelden Primary School, and I used to cycle to school on my Ricardo 10-speed race. I used to race the, the, the bus every day. It was fantastic. I beat it. Because uh, uh, I kept having to stop to pick up kids. So yeah. I, I just get a little bit in front, then get behind, then a little bit in front. Get and some fumes. It. Yeah, absolutely. Suck them all in. <laughs> it kept you going for the rest of the day. So son of a small business owner um, like myself and I have interesting memories of what that was like and, and what you learn as a kid when your old man's working pretty hard. What was that like for you and, and, and what were you learning um, 
I guess, not just about business but about um, things like work ethic and, and all of that sort of stuff? Well, my father's always worked very hard and always gone above and beyond. But I would say, um, even though that era loved to say that they worked extraordinarily long hours, the reality is they usually worked until lunchtime on Saturday and they never worked on a Sunday. Uh, and so I just make the point that, um, you know, I think today's executives are literally working seven days a week and they're on call 24 hours a day. So I think it is quite different. But when I was growing up, I grew up in a family where, you know, Saturday afternoons we would just have, you know, family activities one after the other. So, uh, and Dad was always there for that. Do you remember stress in the household? No, not really. So there, it sort of, he could compartmentalise things, you know, didn't bring it home with him. Dad was a pretty capable guy. He grew up in the port as well. He went to Lafever Tech and his father was a wharfie and his mother cleaned the school. But they were a great family. Um, very proud family. They weren't wealthy. You know, they grew up in, dad grew up in Trust Street, Birkenhead. But he just worked really hard. He finished at Lefevre Tech and went straight off to Holden and did his apprenticeship at Holden, five-year apprenticeship as a fitter and turner. And the day he finished that, he went off to sea in the Merchant Navy and then he got his first class engineer certificate. And the day he finished that, he left uh, the Merchant Navy and went to work, work for Mobile Oil. And, and he's got a great story where, um, which I, fi- I find still inspirational to this day, where, you know, Mobile back in the in the 70s would have been one of those uh, Dale Carnegie-type organisations which had their salespeople all right, you've got to fill in your forms every day. And Dad was sort of saying, well, every day they had to do six calls uh, to their clients. And Dad said, look, I always said that I would do eight calls every day. And after I'd done the eight, I would still see if I could just slot in one more, see if Reg is down at, uh, you know, the Birkenhead Bowser and he'd, you know, drop in down there and he would always, and, and remarkably, he always finished top uh, in his sales. But it's because he applied himself. And it's like that with everybody, really. You get out of life what you put in. And so that's probably the first big lesson I learned from my father was just seeing him apply himself in a diligent way. Now, we should allow Stephen the option of a bit of coffee. He was just <laughs> talking about uh, <laughs> lack not, of coffee. Not, not getting one lack in of this caffeine. morning. I'm interested in, um, I guess, were there any political discussions among your parents? Were they political people? My parents both grew up as Labor supporters and all of my grandparents would have been lifelong Labor supporters. Mum and Dad sort of, you know, decided in the mid-70s that uh, the Labor philosophy didn't really work for them. And, you know, they're just typical people. Mum comes from the country, she's from Broken Hill, Dad's from Port Adelaide. They've worked hard and they've been able to achieve in the best country on, on, on this earth. And... To me, that's the liberal philosophy. If you work hard, you can get on in this great country. It's not about who you know. Uh, it's about how you apply yourself. And that's what they've lived. And that, to me, is the liberal philosophy. And so they uh, probably uh, changed mid-70s. I've only ever voted uh, liberal. Uh, and uh, but, it, but, you know, it wasn't a family that was um, wedded in, in a... In, in a sort of a, a crazy ideological way to the Liberal Party. They just thought that it was the, the party and the philosophy that suited our family best. And when did the interest for you um, come? Uh, quite late, actually, mm. uh, to be quite honest. I was never involved in student politics and I was ne- never a member of young Liberals or, you know, Liberals on campus or whatever it was. So I just joined the party... Um, probably in the mid-2000s. I didn't think South Australia was heading in the right direction and uh, I remember... That was out of frustration. Yeah, I just... Look, I think this is a great state and it's just got so much potential 
And I just don't think Labor have been taking us in, in the right direction. And so I used to complain about this quite a lot to my friends. And eventually they said, look, honestly, Marshall, shut up or do something about it. And I thought, oh, I suppose, I suppose I could. Was there actually a moment at the pub or was there a moment where someone said, come on, where you suddenly walked away and said, maybe I should? I think I made my decision probably about 2007 and I don't think there was an individual trigger but it was just that I was becoming increasingly frustrated with where... See, I was born in 1968. It was a long time ago. Um, when I was born, Adelaide was the third largest city in Australia and nobody ever spoke down about South Australia or Adelaide. I mean, we were a great city, we were a great state, we punched above our weight in virtually everything when I was growing up and I'm a proud... South Australian. And now you go into state and the first thing they do is go through the obligatory five jokes about how poor South Australia is and how every state has to subsidise South Australia and, you know, can't keep the lights on in South Australia. Thankfully, we're going to thump them in the football. But I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, we need to do something more than be able to play footy uh, capably. So um, your rise to leadership was fast. I guess on reflection now, were you ready for it? Well, I, you know, probably not is, is, is the truthful answer to that. I, I was elected in 2010 and then Isabel put me on the front bench in 2011 and then I became the deputy leader in 2012 and then I became the leader in February 2013. Rise. So it was, it was pretty quick. <laughs> but, you know, um, it, it's a decision of the party room and when Isabel re- resigned, which would have been in late January 2013, just a year out from the election. Um, I, I didn't put my hand up, but, you know, my colleagues just said, look, we would like you to nominate. And I said, oh, look, surely not. And they said, no, we, we want you to. And in, in the end, it was uncontested. The first time we'd had an uncontested uh, leadership ballot uh, in the Liberal Party since David Tonkin was elected in the, in the, in the 70s. So, uh, been a long time between an uncontested ballot in the Liberal Party. One of the things that um, Monty and myself were discussing was, seems to me there's two parts to politics and you've got sort of, you know, you've got a vision and you've got a, you've done it out of frustration. So there's the sort of ideological, I want to make a difference, I want to leave a legacy. And then there's the game of politics. Mm. How do you kind of reconcile those two things? Because it seems to me you get spat out pretty quickly if you're just about making a change like you need you need to understand the game yeah look it's a it it's i don't see it as a game but i do think after the last election we had to take a very good look at ourselves in the liberal party after getting 53 percent of the vote which was an enormous um enormous vote um we didn't form government and so we had to really think well what what were we going to change what we're going to do differently and we we did have to make a lot of changes. And so we have, as a party, worked very diligently since the last election on all the things that we needed to change. And one of the things that we needed to do was to take responsibility ourselves. The Liberal Party hasn't been, uh, in the past, uh, the most robust uh, party. And so we needed to change that. And we needed to be, think very strategically about what were the best interests of South Australia, develop our policies, develop our framework, be, uh, you know, have... As I say in the party room, teamwork, hard work and focus. They're the three themes that we've had uh, up until this year for the, for the four and a half years that I've been the leader. How does that review process look? Um, I can tell you 
in football terms. They look at video, they cut it up, they analyse, you know, the actions on field, they have medical assessments, then they begin planning for their pre-season and then they go and have a break. What, what does it look like for a politician after, you know, a heartbreaking loss? What, what do those next couple of weeks look like? Well, for us, you know, I mean, we're still, there's still a media cycle. I mean, in the, at the last election, we didn't know who was going to form government for quite some time because, as you might recall, the Labor Party got 23 seats. We had 22 seats and there were two independents and you need 24. So neither of the two major parties could form government. So we were negotiating with Jeff Brock and Bob Such. Um, Bob Such uh, pulled out uh, a week or so after the election uh, he was unwell and he wasn't going to make a decision. So it made it very difficult because Jeff Brock then had the decision, was he going to go with the Liberal Party and force a new state election? That was the correct decision. Uh, or would he go with Labor uh, and, uh, you know, not have a, a state election, just continue the government of the day, which I think has turned out to be a terrible decision for the people of South Australia. 16 years of dysfunctional government in South Australia was the decision that Jeff Brock made that day because he didn't have the courage to go back to a state election. Now, clearly, at that election, there was an overwhelming view for change. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull's the Prime Minister of Australia with 50.1% of the vote. We got 53. It's like a 10-goal win in football. Well, it's a little bit like power on the weekend, isn't it? They kick a lot of points. They had all the the running. That's why I said we had to look at ourselves. There was no point in winching, carping and complaining. But, you know, it could have been very different if Jeff Brock had have said, well, no, the people wanted a Liberal government, let's go back to the people. I think we could have got that mandate at that election. He didn't make that decision, so we've now had another four years, but we haven't wasted that time. We haven't been out there whinging, uh, and, in fact, what we've done is to try to put ourselves in the best position possible to form a government, and not just to form a government. I mean, people can form governments, but it's to actually drive a reformist agenda in South Australia to get this state back to where it needs to be. Leadership is obviously uh, a title in politics, but what does it mean to to truly lead, particularly when you need to rally the troops after a heartbreaking loss like you had experienced at the time? Well, every leader's different, aren't they? I mean, you know, you get some, and you know, you use the football analogy, and so you get some of those uh, coaches that rant and rave, and some that pick out the poor performers and belittle them in front of the the team, and then you get other coaches who just sort of think, look, where do we need to be? And that's the sort of leader that I hope that I am, or just to be quite dispassionate about the whole thing. Okay, we've had this loss. What are we going to do? Now, we've got a decision. We can whinge and whine and carp and complain and, you know, go through endless, you know, uh, sort of finger-pointing exercises, or we can just make a decision. We can make a decision to win the next election. What do you want to do? Party room said, all but one, uh, Martin Hamilton-Smith, but all but one basically said we want to win the next election. And Martin left... And I think that's possibly the best decision that's been made for the Liberal Party room because he wasn't a team player. Uh, you know, he was a capable guy, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a team player. He, he only wanted to be the, you know, the captain, the coach, uh, the ruckman, the best player. Um, and that's not what politics is actually about. And so what we've done is to work very, very closely as a team. And I remember when we, one of the things that we did was to revise our, um, Manifesto, which we called 2036, which is the bicentenary of, of South Australia. And when we put it out, um, I took a copy of it to meet with Dan Wills, who's the political ed- editor at The Advertiser, and I gave him a copy and he said, who did this? I said, well, we, we, we did it. He said, who? I said, well, the whole party room. He said, when? And I said, well, over the last 18 months. I, said, I can't believe that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, 
for, for, for you guys to all work on something for 18 months and for it not to be leaked to the media is just extraordinary. But that was the change that we made after the last election was to start working as a team and, and, and make decisions and, and make policy uh, that would be in the best interest of all South Australians. What was the personal um, journey that you had to go on to, to, to get yourself back into a space to lead? Like, do you go for lots of walks on the beach and exercise? Do you, like, what, what do you do? <laughs> no, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not a walk along the beach fitness type guy. I can't believe you. This is radio, so I could say anything. And you wouldn't know that I'm not a fitness type guy. But uh, no, look, I, I just, you know, I, I don't have any, I don't listen to sort of tapes and inspirational music or the sounds of, you know, waves crashing on the, on the, on the shore. Andrew uh, does, actually, famously, Andrew, to go to sleep. He, he looks like I do. I to a white, I'm a white noise kind of guy, uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. really annoying. Sorry. Well, it works for some, but it's just, it wasn't so my... So what did you do? Just Can got you, on with it. So you like you, you butter up, you put the suit on the next day and you start or... or Absolutely, you... one foot after the other. Yeah. Just... So was there a point of, surely there was some kind of, self-reflection in that absolutely yeah i mean look i wasn't happy with my performance at the last election i mean i was new to the game but there were things that i could have done much better than what i did and you know i i needed to lift uh, and the team needed to lift and i think that that's what we've been able to demonstrate over the last three and a half years so i guess when you reflect on becoming leader not ready going through the heartbreaking loss to where you are now how have you evolved I guess, why you are a better leader now than what you were? Well, experience. I mean, there's no substitute for experience in, in politics. Um, and so, I mean, I'm now, I mean, there are nine Liberal leaders in the country, so there's six states, two territories and the feds, and I'm the second longest serving Liberal leader uh, in the country, the longest serving opposition leader in the country. I mean, I've done it for four and a half years. At the next year, uh, next election, I'll be there for five years. And there is no substitute for uh, experience in politics. I mean, you often meet people at the shopping centres on the weekend or at the footy on the weekend and they'll say, oh, you know, what you should do is this and what you should do is that. And, you know, if it only was that simple, you know, it, it is complicated. Uh, we're at a, a massive resource differential from the government of the day. Um, it, I mean, you might have seen in, in the paper that, you know, the government want to get a bit of focus group done on their energy policy. They just splash out $300,000 getting a focus group done. I mean... That's a third of the budget for the entire opposition for a year. I mean, it's it's a massive resource differential. So you've really got to uh, look at your resources and um, you've got to apply them in a judicious way, you know, towards achieving your your, your goals. And I run this like um, as much as possible like a business. So we set our objectives as a party and then we define our strategies and our tactics and we have our key performance indicators, the things that each person needs to be responsible for. Uh, and so in the media, you know, we measure media hits per week and we measure them r relative like a shadow minister to their minister and we give them a, a score. We measure the number of questions asked in parliament. We measure, um, well, look, let's not go into all of our secrets, but we measure a lot of things uh, in the Liberal Party because we want to improve our performance. And my father always says, you know, what you measure is what you get. And, and it's a hundred percent right. If you start measuring something in business, you will improve performance. And that's what we've tried to do in the Liberal Party. Clearly grassroots podcasters on the list. Yeah. hundred percent. Look, I, I don't go a week without listening to a good podcast. Do you listen no, to podcasts? No, not at all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, should, about, that's about to change. That's about to change. But that's interesting because a lot of people have, um, I think misguided perceptions about opposition. Oh, you know, all they do is complain. 
like they, a lot of people wouldn't realise that that you have this system about how how the team goes about it. It's funny, you know, because when the probably the most common feedback I get when I go out and meet with a group is, oh, you seem a lot nicer <laughs> in real life. And I think, oh, what do I seem like in unreal life on television? Oh, no, very negative. But, you know, this is the curse of opposition. You know, it's not like, you know, the television station rocks up and says, well, tell us all of your good ideas for the day. I mean, you know, it's difficult. You know, if you think about the political sec- section on on the television news at night, you know, the Fed's get the lion share of it, so the federal coalition, then the the, uh, the state government, then the uh, federal opposition, and then somewhere towards the end there's Stephen Marshall often with a, a negative comment. And even if we try to put out positive stories, it's very difficult to get that cut through. But there's no point in complaining about it. That is the curse of opposition, not here in South Australia, but probably, you know, worldwide. And therein lies the game of politics. Um, you know, it's not, not something you necessarily want to be doing the whole time, but it's kind of, it's one of your tactics, I guess, isn't it? Well, how would you describe, you know, the, the Adelaide that you want to live in? Um, let's say for your kids, they're teenagers now as they come into their early adult life. Like, what, what does it look like for them? It's, it, to me, a lot of it revolves around getting quality jobs because we've already got an, a, a completely enviable quality of life here in South Australia. I don't want to knock a lot of the things that the government have done. You know, moving footy into the city, 100% right. By the way, it was the Liberal concept in the first place. They, <laughs> there we go. they never switch off, do they? <laughs> but, but, you know, that was a good decision. You know, small bars, all of these things, uh, creating I- increased vibrancy is fine. But if there's not a job, uh, this is a real problem because as one bar improves, if the overall size of the pie isn't increasing, well, then one bar has to get less trade. And that's the problem with South Australia. We have this sort of zero growth. Uh, our employment uh, in South Australia is lacklustre and kids are finishing school and finishing university. And they're saying, look, I love Adelaide. I love South Australia, but I'm going to get a job elsewhere. And that's a disaster for, for, for the future of South Australia. So we make no apologies for the fact that we want to grow South Australia, that we want to grow uh, our economy. And we've already laid out in the 2036 uh, document the six po- strategies that we will pursue. And now we're layering all of our, our policies and our announcements on top of that. So how do you, I mean, as you said, you get your eight-second grab at the bottom of a, a news story. Um, you don't get the opportunity to talk about things in this kind of expansive way. Do you have, like, an elevator pitch for your vision? Like, when someone says, hey, I've got ten seconds for you to say your vision, how would you articulate it in well, that way? I think what we've really – probably the biggest learning out of the last election was that sort of billboard and slogan isn't that successful anymore mm-hmm. – because if you think about it from a business perspective, years ago, a company would have an advertising slogan for the entire population. They don't think like that anymore. They segment their market. And every person has something different. So, you know, you might be speaking to, uh, you know, somebody uh, who, uh, and I don't want to be ageist here, but let's just say they're 70, uh, and they're very interested in the Liberal Party's policy on debt and deficit. They think that this government uh, has been hopeless at managing our finances, uh, cumulative deficits resulting in uh, big debt for our state, which is having a massive daily interest payment, and that's outrageous. So that's their position, and they want to know what the Liberal Party's position on, on that is. You might then be speaking to somebody who's 30... Uh, who's, jobs and... 
Well, and and they might they might love debt because they've just borrowed mm. the deposit from for their home from their parents. Mm. They've borrowed ninety five percent of the value of that property from the bank. They've got two leased cars and three plasma screens <laughs> on a higher purchase. They love debt. Don't make me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, reminding me. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is this concept of billboard and slogan is not effective. You've got to understand, and this is why the Liberal Party's had to do the work to develop policies right across the board, and then you you target the policy to the person and you listen to what their values are and what their behaviours are and the things that are important to them, and you're listening rather than telling them what's good for them. But my ambition is for South Australia to get back to where we were. You know, this was, uh, you know, as I said, a state that punched above its weight, uh, a state that was proud on the national and international stage and at the moment that's just that's just simply not the case so for me that strikes so much of authenticity now and sort of feels like people are just a bit sick of slogans because it it doesn't actually communicate who you are and what you truly believe in um how how do you manage to keep yourself in this process and not be beholden to polls and focus groups I think you've just got to be really quite resolute about what you're trying to achieve, um, especially in opposition because of the lack of resources. And I often liken it a little bit to, you know, driving a grader. You can see in the distance where you've got to arrive at and you've got to be at a certain, you know, you've got to be at a certain speed to get there. And look, there, there's, you know, there's dirt flying off the, the front of the blade. And if you, if you didn't want, you know, you didn't want to create any, mess, well, then you'd have to go at a very slow pace. You don't have that option. So you've just got to be very resolute about where you want to be. You've got to get that group of people uh, in your team 100% locked into the objective. And as soon as you've done that, the team subordinates all of their personal goals to the goals of the team, and which are ultimately the aspirations for our party and the state. So does that mean at some points ignoring like data, ignoring polls, ignoring these, because you've got to make an instinctive decision, I'm going to back myself in here. Like if someone says to you, don't talk about this, but you deep down believe you need to talk about it, I mean, how do you, how do you balance those things? The most accurate poll in South Australia is the news poll. Apologies to all the other poll, polling companies out there. That's about 1,200 people. 1,200 people across 47 seats. So you're talking, you know, 20 or 30 per, people per seat. It's, you know, it's just... It's just it's it's not nearly granular enough for you to be making decisions upon. I, I always refer to those statewide two-party preferred polls as the vanity polls. You know, if you get a good one, you sort of think, oh, that's quite good. But in reality, it's pretty dangerous because at the last election, the statewide two-party preferred had us on 53-47. At the election, we got 53-47 uh, and we lost the election. So you really need to think about you know, the individual seats, and that's, you know, far more important. But, you know, you can't be guided just by what a poll uh, is showing on an issue because often the, the noisiest people on an online poll are the ones that activate themselves to vote. You've really got to go back to first principles, and that's why we did the 2036 document. So we said this is a document which identifies the nine areas that we think that good state government is based upon. These are our values as a party, and this is our reform agenda. We announced 47 separate reform agenda items in that document, and that's what we stand for, and you go back to that. And so you don't develop policies which are contrary to what you're trying to to achieve the aspirations that we have for the state. What do you think the general public thinks of their politicians these days? 
Look, I think it's pretty. I think it's a pr- pretty low ebb. I mean, I think a lot of people like their local politician because they probably see them the most, and they see them at local events, and uh, so they they've got a reasonably good appreciation of their local MP. But collectively, they just see you know what's on television, which is often you know disasters and fighting and bickering, uh, and you know this state government's. Uh, uh, perspective, you know, lots of wasteful expenditure, which I think reflects on, I mean, when people read in the paper, you know, that the Premier flies overseas and takes a film crew with him or he spends $300,000 on polling, which is completely political, or, or, I mean, they look on the, you know, television at the moment, I think there must be a million dollars a week being spent on advertising in South Australia by the government, not by the Labor Party, but by the government, with our taxpayer dollars, hard-earned, basically going to prop up this government, then I think people think, you know, all politicians are bad. But but don't you think that cynicism begins that, like, so my natural reaction is, yeah, that's fine, but then the government of the day will just kind of do the same thing. So if Liberal, if you guys get in and, you know, in two years' time you'll be doing the same sorts of things. I I think this government in South Australia has taken it to a completely different level. I don't think there's any government in Australia which is so wasteful with taxpayer money in terms of spurious government advertising. And, look, they wouldn't need to do it if they were doing a good job. I mean, they know they're doing a bad job and that's why they're spending so much money trying to tell the people of South Australia, aren't we doing a great job? No, they're not. The better, the better course of action would be to spend that money on improving outcomes for South Australians and you wouldn't need to waste that, that money here in this state. I feel quite strongly about this. this is the wrong thing to be spending taxes on it. And that's why our taxes in South Australia are too high. And, of course, the higher the taxes go, the slower our economy operates and that's where we are after 16 years of Labor administration. We want to take that tax burden, we want to take that regulatory burden off of families, off of individuals, off of small business because we want to kick-start the economy, we want it to grow, we want to create jobs for the next generation deal with the personal toll of this gig, waking up and probably knowing that around half the population doesn't like you too much. Uh, what are you saying? Well, well you know, just we, a, we like to get real here on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wa- did. We talked about yeah. this before. It's like, imagine waking up every day going, 50% of this state's never met me, but they probably hate me. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, you just, it's, you're not in this game for, um, for yourself. I mean, anybody that goes into politics thinking it's a sort of a dream run, they might have, you know, might have missed their, they might have missed their dream run. Maybe that's what politics was like in the 50s and 60s where there was a lot of, um, you know, people held their politicians in esteem. Now, you know, everybody feels the right to be able to go up, you know, we might be at a, at a function. They feel they've got the right to walk up, poke you in the chest and say, now listen here, Marshall, here's three or four things that I think you should be doing. And fair enough too. I mean, they're paying the taxes. I think that people should feel, uh, you know, confident enough to go up and, and hold their, their politicians to account. So I, I don't think you go in this um, for um, positive reinforcement. You go in it because you want to make a difference, and that's certainly what motivated me. There's got to be a – I mean, do you have to take steps for your own well-being? I mean, people can tweet you nonstop, say whatever the hell they want. Like, surely you kind of need to look after yourself in, in some way. Look, that's just water off a duck's back. That's just, you know, that's just modern social media. I mean, everybody gets it. You know, you're a football player, you're going to get it. You know, you're a coach, you're going to get it. <laughs> Koshy's got it quite a bit lately. So, I mean, this is the thing, like, you just, you can't be dissuaded from that. And look, I'm, I'm used to operating in tough environments. Before politics, I was in manufacturing. I mean, you know, that was a tough environment, you know, and, uh, I think, 
you know, I'm a product of that tough environment. And I think that we are in a tough environment in South Australia. And that's why I think I'm very well placed to be able to turn this state around. Who are the people that you've uh, lent on, confided in or used as a bit of a beacon um, in, in, in your journey and your, and your evolution? Well, there's no one person. I mean, there's a range of people. Yeah, have there, there been some influential people in your, in your life? Uh, well, certainly in terms of politics, I've uh, had great advice from John Howard. In fact, I caught up with him on the weekend when he was here uh, in Adelaide. I'll probably catch up with him three or four times per year. What's that like? Yeah, it's great. I still call him Mr Howard. He says, I'll call me John, but I just think it's, you know... Just that respect. doesn't sort of seem right for somebody. I still call my Year 9 uh, Society Environment teacher Mr Ellis. Do you? And he lives down the road. I wave, Mr Ellis, how are you going? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because you go into a school now... And they call the principal, oh, g'day, David. You nah, know, I'm thinking, not oh, a fan, goodness, that's, not a fan. That's what was, but what was it like? How did that relationship begin with John? Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> so I had this, it was just after the last state election and um, I had this call on a Saturday morning. I didn't know who it was and this person said, oh, g'day, it's John here. And I said, oh, hello, John. I had no idea <laughs> who it was. And then the penny dropped a couple of minutes into the conversation that it was Mr Howard. So I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I better stand up straighter uh, on this phone call. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, a lot of it's going to depend on what the party room wants, but, you know, probably time for me to chuff off. And he said, no, I don't think you should. And he just said, look, you know, he for one thought that uh, um, it was definitely time for change in South Australia. And he offered, he said, if I stayed on, that he would... Uh, continue to meet with me and mentor me and uh, and help me. I didn't really know him at that point. I mean, I caught up with him once or twice before the election, but had never really spent a lot of time with him. But since that time, we've become quite good friends and he offers great advice. And he's not one of these politicians that wants to tell you about what they did and, and revisit everything. You know, he listens and then he asks a lot of questions and he offers some advice and questions, but it's not in a sort of a, what you should be doing, young boy, is this. Not, not at all. I mean, he's very thoughtful, very strategic, very capable, and uh, it's a real honour to spend some time with him. He was a great Prime Minister. Um, didn't agree with every single thing that he implemented, but when you look... Um, at the overall time that he was in, he was a politician of conviction. You know, when he became the Prime Minister, most people thought, well, you know, the best days of Australia were behind us. And by the end of his time as Prime, Prime Minister of Australia, people thought, wow, look at where Australia is and look at where it can actually go. And he'd re-established sort of established that confidence. And that's exactly where we are in South Australia. When people think about South Australia at the moment, they think, well, we, we you know, once was great. You know, this was a great state. But people are losing confidence. The business confidence, the uh, consumer confidence surveys are lower than they were at the time of the state bank collapse in South Australia. So, you know, times are tough, but we can hit the reset button. We can move this state in the right direction, just like John Howard did for our country. Are there other leaders outside of politics that influence you? Not re no, not that I sort of meet with on a regular basis. I mean, but even just you know a, a book that you might have read or someone you admire uh, outside of politics. I mean, do you do you get the time or opportunity to draw on um, things or people from outside of this world? Oh, a lot of people read those sort of biographies, but no, I've never been you know I've never been a biography uh, reader. Look, Dad was has been my father has been hugely influential in my life he still rings me every single day offering me advice some of it's useful <laughs> and uh, and but he's a great you know he's a great role model i think you know ultimately we all 
become a product of our parents. I don't know what you guys think, but I think we all become a product of our parents. And if we're scary, lucky, that's all right. it, it can be a bit scary. But you're lucky if you take the good traits from each of your parents. And I'm the product of, you know, a, a, a father who was diligent, hardworking, um, high integrity, who just, he wanted to get on in life. And a mother who's just always been very community focused and she would look after anybody that needed uh, help and, and had a great uh, personality and a real family person. And, you know, hopefully I can take the best from those two uh, in, in my life and uh, go forward. My last question before we hit rapid fire is Ooh. two parts. Uh, the lowest moment in your political career to this point and the most exhilarating moment so far. Uh, well, the lowest po- point was clearly the last election result. Um, you know, it was very disappointing for not just for me but for the entire team and a lot of our supporters and I felt that we'd let them down. They voted for change. They wanted change. They gave us a good result. I think it was the second best result or the third best result we've had in the history of this party. So we let them down. That was a, a low point. Um, look, I'm hoping that the most exhilarating uh, point is in a few years' time, not winning an election. I mean, that would be a great time, but really driving a reformist agenda. I mean, I've seen what Will Hodgman uh, did in, has done in Tasmania. I've seen what John Key has done uh, in New Zealand. I've seen what John Howard, and I just hope that we can do exactly the same thing here in South Australia. Now to kick off... What's this rapid, rapid fire? So rapid fire, rapid we actually fire. call it we actually call it shit rapid fire because yeah. I'm terrible at Monty's it. Monty's um, lets the team down every time. This is, and you don't have short to, answers, You don't have to speaking. answer in a rapid... I don't know, whatever. Uh, see how we <laughs> just go. roll with it. My, my first one, can you give us a snapshot of your typical day from the moment, the time that you wake up... Get up at quarter past five every morning, read the papers, get on the phone to the shadow minister's... I mean, send emails off uh, as early as possible, then wait to phone all the uh, the newsrooms. Uh, to follow the footy, footy analogies, the most annoying person in your party that just irritates <laughs> you and you can't say no one. Well, <laughs> well, the person that probably irritates me the most is the person that I probably like the most as well, which is David Pasoni, who literally rings me. He doesn't mind if he calls me at four o'clock in the morning because he's up and he's at it the entire time. And uh, no, he's a great guy, but he literally Good. doesn't, doesn't leave pest. me alone. Good work. The most annoying political opponent. That's an easier one for you, surely. Oh, That's, isn't, is that a Dorothy Dixer? Like I've... Uh, look, that th- that is that is a real, you know, that could be any number of people. I mean, I, I you know, no. Nah. Pick but, one. I'm not very happy with Jeff Brock making a decision yeah. which okay. he should never have made, and I think it was a decision which was made in complete self-interest. It wasn't a courageous decision, and it's encumbered this government for another four years with a hopeless Labor government. Have you ever built anything around the house? Uh built recently no no I've, not recently just anything like bar- a barbecue or a pergola or a well, garden bed growing up we did lots of stuff like that because dad was a very handy person oh when i was a little tiny kid like i was about eight and he sent me under the car to change the sump oil and i had to sort of with his spanner take this thing off but he didn't really tell me how quickly this oil was gonna come he sent me under the car with an ice cream bucket uh and uh <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a bit of a mess. But no, we were always doing stuff because, uh, you know, we had boats. You know, I had a little whole fast train and then I had a rainbow. So every year you had to basically sand it back to, to the timber and repaint it and, re, you know, varnish the decks. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, all of that. But not not recently, certainly not since I've been in politics. You know, I've got basically three tiny vegetable uh, patches, uh, you know, and raised garden beds in my back. And even keeping, them, keeping on top of that is a bit of a struggle. This is a very rapid fire. This is long winded no, no, answers. It's, it's bits of the job that you hate. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, look. You can say grassroots podcasts, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Rooster Radio. <laughs> shockers. You know the name now, though. That's impressive. That's good. Um, do you, obviously, you have a driver and a car. Yes. Um, do you sort of make small talk? A lot of the time. Yep. A lot of the time. What, but his or her name? Warren, Warren. And, but the, the, the reality is that most of the time uh, I'm on the phone. And uh, a lot of people think it's a real luxury to be able to have a driver, and it is a privilege, don't get me wrong, but you are so much more effective. You know, you're not parking the car and walk, walking a kilometre to get to somewhere. You can really slot so much more in in the day, and the entire time uh, that you're driving, you're making phone calls and there's a printer in the in the boot. And Is there? Yeah, wow. absolutely. In it's case like what, you've got to print out a speech, you've got to adjust the speech. Yeah, or, or, or a transcript comes up and, you know, there's just a million... What else is it? It's got everything. It's got a fire extinguisher just in case Does I sort of see somebody I don't like. I can just give them a couple of quick bars. No, but you'd have a little kit in there, surely. Yeah. I've got a little kit at home. Yeah, okay. Um, what about if you were going to be in small business again in your life, what's a, what's a small business you'd love to be involved in? <laughs> I think, you know, anything that's got a lot of customer interaction you know i live out in norwood you know and uh you go into argo or you go into if you can get if you can get in yeah yeah, i mean you go into all of those great coffee shops and they're all great personalities you know and i shouldn't have just mentioned argo because a lot of other good ones there great (laughs) i could see david most mornings (laughs) and uh, but you know but daniel milky is a great operator at argo and Really, the success at that place is around customer service. I think something that interacts with the with the public would be would be good. Last one from me: um, What meal would you cook if it was the last meal that you were going to be eating? Um, apologies to all of the uh, vegetarians out there, but I would just have you know a nice big piece of eye fillet. That would be my uh, that would be that would be the go for me. My last question um, is the last movie either on Netflix or at the cinemas that you might have caught and watched. Saw Dunkirk, went to see Dunkirk on Sunday night with my daughter Georgie, uh, who said she basically wanted to go and see Harry Styles. But <laughs> actually it was a brilliant film. I was completely captivated the entire time. And uh, it was a complex storyline. It was ext- virtually no dialogue. You've got to see it. Absolutely brilliant. Sorry, one more. The last a piece of advice that you seem to give your kids. Um, clean your room. <laughs> and Stephen Marshall, on that very down-to-earth note, thank you so much for spending time with us and, uh, and allowing us to ask some, some, some good, hard questions, but also some questions to learn a bit more about your world and, and your journey. So thank you very much. Thanks, guys, and all the best for Rooster Radio. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks for listening to our chat with the leader of the South Australian Liberal Party, Stephen Marshall. We have plenty of interesting interviews in the bank and many more to come, so subscribe to Rooster Radio. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review in iTunes. And connect with us at roosterradio.biz. We'd love to hear from you.